Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Over 2 billion people in the world do not have access to safe drinking water, and just under a billion do not have reliable energy. So when you think about green empowerment's work, that's really what we're focusing on. The communities actually have the power. We're just helping them recognize it and utilize it for a green energy solution. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is a special edition. In fact, it was a tradition, something that we skipped last year to my dismay, bringing back Giving Tuesday. If you are new here, this is typically an episode that we reserve for subject matter expert to deep dive on a technology that matters to you and me in our day-to-day trying to figure out how to navigate the clean energy transition. Today, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Cyber Monday is known as Giving Tuesday. If you didn't know that, well, welcome. Giving Tuesday is all about taking some of the money you did not spend on consumerism and contributing it back into giving to those around you and those in the world with uh, with a greater need than those of us predominantly in developing, uh, excuse me, developed nations. In the past, we've highlighted projects around the world that are delivering electricity through solar and in in novel and different ways and this year despite you know i normally am introduced to dozens of nonprofits throughout the year i was in search for something different something that taps into uh, a bit of my peace corps background and my desire to really understand how uh, we can employ our collective understanding of the industry and the work that we're doing effectively as Jigger Shaw said very recently we're no longer in the solar business we're in the uh, the micro utility the VPP the VPP business and my question was simply how is that uh, not a rich world product right like how are we taking this product that is life-changing in all uh, forms to communities around the world. So I reached out to someone that I deeply trust and care about and uh, who's well-informed and connected, Kristen Kirsch uh, over at Next Tracker, who's a fellow Peace Corps volunteer. And I said, hey, I think I recall that you guys did a project in Africa with this company. Could you introduce me? Lo and behold, the nonprofit is called Green Empowerment and the executive director is Andrea Johnson. And the stars just aligned too nicely for this not to be the organization that we're going to feature this year. So today we're going to talk with Andrea Johnson, Executive Director of Green Empowerment, about what that organization is bringing to the world, specifically their micro-utility model, the 25 years it's been in existence, the half a million people that they've served in their first 25 years in existence, and how the success rate that they've accomplished stands out in a crowded space, offering electricity and water to rural communities around the world. If you have any inkling that the mission you're on extends beyond just your job or your job search, 
and you've had a sense of contribution uh, and the itch that you want to scratch, or if you're just curious how others are through their philanthropic giving, making an impact around the world, I would encourage you to tune in and really dig into today's episode because I think that you're going to learn a lot about what's possible beyond just powering America's homes and uh, how solar is being used to really free people from a very underdeveloped uh, economy and provide them the kind of first world things that we consider luxuries and that are life-saving in their very at their very core light electricity water stability <laughs> a sense of permanence sense of uh, security all those we bring to the world through clean energy and uh, yeah stay tuned you're gonna really enjoy this if you if you like these kinds of conversations beyond just philanthropic giving to the folks that are on the front lines of the clean energy transition we bring those to you each and every week twice a week through these tactical tuesdays and our thoughtful long-form executive profiles on thursdays i hope that you will subscribe so that you don't miss out on these twice weekly conversations with leaders that are showing us how clean energy really truly can transform the world in the meantime i want you to dig in because we're getting ready to tune in to another powerful conversation here on suncast Hey, really quick, before we jump in, I do want to be really direct and specific because in the interview itself, I don't actually say that uh, we want you to consider donation. And I want to be explicit that on Giving Tuesday, I want you to consider supporting Green Empowerment. You can do so by checking out Green Empowerment's donate page at www.greenempowerment.org forward slash donate. All right. Here's the show. Well, as I teased a moment ago, Andrea Johnson is joining me as the Executive Director of Green Empowerment. I'm super grateful to have an opportunity to chat with you finally, Andrea, and learn more about what Green Empowerment means and what it's doing out in the world. Welcome to Suncast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a great opportunity to talk to my fellow energy <laughs> folks. Um, I have a background in the energy sector and Green empowerment, the way we do our work, the impact we're having, the stories that I'm here to share with you, I think will resonate a lot with other people that care and are eager to learn more about solar. Yeah, absolutely. And not just about solar, but how it's being deployed outside of like the of the common uh, the commonplace uh, examples that we all are you know, trying to figure out like an M3. And M3 is such a luxury problem to fix, candidly, <laughs> when mm-hmm. we put into perspective the global plight. Um, could you do that for us, you know, as not just a, a a nonprofit executive director, but as a fellow returned Peace Corps volunteer who's spent years in uh, Latin America and now across other regions of the underdeveloped world, help put into perspective the impact that clean water and clean electricity can have on a community? Yeah, that's a great way to start. So one of the things I like to share with people is that, you know, over 2 billion people in the world do not have access to safe drinking water at home, and just under a billion do not have reliable energy. And so to put that in perspective, think about yourself and the people that you know. So 2 billion people, that's about one in three people. So just imagine you, your neighbors, and your own community. If every, you know, one in all three of you did not have clean water at home, how would that impact your day? Health, chores, cooking, basic things that we all like you mentioned, like take for granted and and kind of just expect to have. Um, And then with electricity, I think something that we've been thinking a lot about at Green Empowerment and just globally is 
We understand how important it is, but the intersection of that with water, the intersection of energy and education and climate change. Mm-hmm. An interesting fact, too, is that the majority of people in the world that do not have energy and water access are in rural communities. So when you think about green empowerment's work, that's really what we're focusing on. And um, the challenges in these communities are beyond just the technology. We always say that, you know, technology often is the easy part. The context, the culture, the you know economic, political situations where we're working are really challenging. And so many of the areas that we're working or that do not have access globally are in areas where there's either acute conflict happening or there's just lack of resources or just distance. You know, um, some of my team members just this week were going to one of our water projects, participating in a really fun inauguration of a new water micro utility. And it was a three hour canoe ride. Canoe. So that's just really hard if you're thinking about it's motorized canoe, so they're not paddling. Yeah. Um, but thinking about just moving materials when you don't have highways. Purchasing materials when you don't have Home Depot. You know, that's kind of how I like to put it in perspective for people. And you you mentioned conflict. uh, The very nature and DNA of green empowerment is born from conflict. Could you give us some insight into the heritage of the 25 years of this organization? Yeah, for sure. I think it might resonate with some folks, too, that think about the um, desire and the belief that energy access or this technology, things that we're working on can really make a big impact. And so Mm -hmm. one of the folks that had those beliefs was um, an engineer from Portland, Oregon, where our organization was started, Ben Linder. He was actually in Nicaragua um, working alongside community members to build a micro hydroelectric system. So very small scale kind of run of river system um, powering a community there. And he was killed alongside with two community members by U.S. funded Contras during the conflict in Nicaragua. So this was 1987. Yeah. As I think a lot of communities do, they kind of rose up in his honor and his memory and raised funds to continue his project. And the actually communities in Nicaragua did the same. And so the Ben Linder Memorial Fund for 10 years supported communities in Nicaragua to build their own energy micro utilities. All of those at the time were micro hydro systems. Mm. Solar was not as readily available, not quite as reliable and not as affordable as it is now, which we can talk about. But um, that Ben Linder Memorial Fund combined with some other work on renewable energy actually happening here in the U.S. and Canada was what created green empowerment 25 years ago. Fascinating. You keep using this terminology that I want to make sure we unpack for folks, the micro utility. How does that work? And how does it differentiate the work that you do from, say, some of your peers, like um, uh, like Give Power that many are familiar with? Yeah, that is a really great question. It's something I think we take a lot of pride in. And it's it comes from this belief that we believe that everybody, no matter where they live, should have access to high quality energy and water access. And so when we use the term utility, it's very intentional. Um, and for us with energy access, that looks at like electricity at your home that goes beyond lighting. And so I think there is a definitely a place for, you know, solar lanterns and small solar home systems. They have a place. But what we are trying to do is create a higher level of energy access so that you have lighting, small appliances that can really help homes and communities um, kind of jumpstart more economic development and livelihood. And for water, one of the things that we're working, we've been working on is piped water systems of treated water to homes. 
So that is pretty different in the water sector. People might be familiar this with like a hand a full, pump. full sanitation district. I mean, it's. Yep. Yeah, we wow. create basically a mini water treatment system. Um, there's a paid technician, both for the energy and water projects. The things they have in common is there's a tariff structure in place that is designed to meet the needs to maintain the system as well as replacement parts. Um, the water is treated or the energy is, you know, monitored pretty closely by a paid technician. The community owns and operates this system and they actually um, have like regular uh, kind of presentations and meetings to the community about the state of the finances, the state of the system. They put into place their own bylaws in terms of if you didn't participate in the system originally, what it costs you to connect to the system. To join. So yeah. it's, it's kind of not that dissimilar to a cooperative here in the United States. It feels very similar. It's just structurally different. And many times we say micro because these are communities usually under a thousand households. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100 kW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. You know, a lot of folks are familiar with, and this is one of the things that I just want to drive home because <laughs> there are a couple of things we're going to unpack. One is the the durability of the model and the 25 years of you know, serving over half a million people, but then the differentiation from others where one might say, well, come on, like, well, how's this different from water mission or mission water and give power and those who have dedicated um, you know, millions in resources and are doing a great job at delivering water to rural communities. Like this isn't a new concept. The question uh, around this micro utility though, is how is that water quality measured? Where is it delivered? And then how is it managed ongoing. So it, it blew my mind when I learned that you guys are delivering as a micro utility, you're delivering a service to the community that is distributed. This is not something that is a central service. It's not a central water, um, you know, in Spanish called pozo. Uh, uh, what do you call that? It's the pump, right? Where you effectively keep folks from having to go down to the river. Well, thank you. You don't go down to the river, but now you go to go to maybe the central location in the town. So instead of carrying the bucket a mile, you're carrying it a hundred yards. Um, nevertheless, uh, it's a it's a cleaner and a and a more centric version in green empowerment. It truly brings modern amenities to these communities and to their homes. Yeah, and I think. One thing that's really interesting to think about is that we will never criticize some of those other types of projects because a lot of sure. times that is your first entry point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Does that mean that you would potentially go into communities where those those services exist and and help distribute that to the homes? That is, a, I mean, it's as if we, we didn't even plan that question. It's amazing because one of the things that we actually are working on right now is that we have this long-term success of supporting communities in Latin America and Southeast Asia. Mm. We don't have a history of working in Africa. We've supported a lot from like a technical, you know, sharing resources perspective, but haven't had strong partnerships or um, projects with communities there. 
And we specifically were invited recently to support an organization that has been doing single point boreholes, hand pumps for, I think, I think they've been around for almost 20 years and they do a great work. They have amazing community engagement. Um, They're locally led. They have a great track record of success with those projects, but they were interested in doing their first piped water system. And so we actually are currently working on um, expand, like kind of seeing what parts of the model and the project framework we have are replicable and what parts really need to adapt and not even meaning to do a shameless plug here, but we actually have a documentary coming out that um, uh, one of the supporters of this project actually support us in filming a documentary and we don't know the result yet. Um, You know, part of a documentary is trying to follow the project and see where it goes. And so what it is following is a community in rural Ecuador in an area that Green Empowerment has been working for a long time with our partners. And then it's following a similar community in terms of the tropics, but in a very different context in Uganda. And they are both, you know, leading their own project development for a piped water system. And so that is where we're at. And that project in Uganda is currently um, underway right now. And we're really learning a lot. And so that is something that um, when it comes out, I think it's spring 2024 is expected. But one of the reasons that's so exciting for us is we do believe that everybody should have access to this high quality service. We also are very cognizant of the challenges. There's financial, you know, technical, social challenges and that exist. And so that's why we believe so much by working with local partners and communities really lead the way. And so that's kind of what's exciting is like the the similarities are exciting and the differences are really, really intriguing for us. But our approach in terms of working with a local partner, supporting them, coming at the invitation of the community, having them really lead a lot of the kind of management of the tariff structure, the maintenance, et cetera. Um, They're also informing the design in both of these places, right? They kind of figure out whose land is it. Think about all the things in a U.S. project, right? Like who owns the land? Are you going to sign agreements to make sure if that pipe crosses the land that it's allowed to, right? Similar things that would happen on even a large-scale utility project here in the U.S. Um, So we kind of adapt all those, but some of the ingredients are the same and some are very different, I guess is what you'd say. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine, I mean, certainly what, what the work I did in Peace Corps was cooperative related and uh, a lot of it was trying to help standardize processes. It was trying to document so that people didn't have to reinvent the wheel each time. I mean, what a treasure trove of resources for 25 years of implementing this with success. And I'll note that the success rate for green empowerment stands, you know, head and shoulders above what one might expect as a you know, someone who's been involved in development for 20 plus years, myself and both, um, both through philanthropy and my work in Peace Corps, you guys have a tremendous success rate for operational projects. It's it's well established and there's data out there if folks wish to sort of fact check the number of like, abandoned wells, the number of solar projects given to communities that are not functional within a year, right? Like forget yeah. about- Usually in the first year, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, usually in the first year. Um, and your your track record is is what? Like, can you help put that in perspective? Yeah, so we did an evaluation in 2021. And much like doing a documentary, when you go about that, you don't know what the results are going to be. I will say one of the things about an organization that's been around for a long time is that we, you know, we don't have remote monitoring on all these systems that we've been doing because they were remote monitoring didn't exist 25, 20 years ago, right? 
And so we um, commissioned an evaluation where there was a group of projects that were all micro utilities. They were across three countries with six different partners, and they had all been installed between two and 10 years ago. And that two years piece was important for us because of what we were just talking about, where a lot of projects fail within the first two years. So kind of if it's functioning at that two-year mark, then we want to see what the success rate is because, you know, in the first six months, you would expect it it to be. Mm -hmm. The results came back at 97% of those systems were fully operational. They are all owned, operated, and maintained by the communities themselves. These are not projects that we have gone back to in terms of financial or technical support. When that data point came out of this evaluation, we just had a bit of a pause. And that's when I was like, you know, I've been the executive director, it'll be eight years coming up. And I've always believed it. I I was a fan of green empowerments before I joined as an executive director when I was working in the energy sector in Oregon. And then that stat came out. I was like, oh my gosh, it might be a disservice a little bit to our model if we don't share this more broadly. And if we don't try to connect with more partners. And that's kind of been a little bit of our focus over the last few years is highlighting the success of communities and of partners. It's not just green empowerment success, right? It was shocking. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is shocking truly as a, um, as a development professional, even if I've sort of hung up the, 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 the cleats as it were, uh, it's been a long time since I've gotten my hands dirty and, and really done development work, but you know, those data and, um, and statistics exist for more than 50 years now, uh, of not just Peace Corps work, but development work around the world. And it's really well known, um, that a lot of, uh, I mean, it's something that's drilled into us as Peace Corps volunteers, frankly, that a lot of the work just, uh, it it falls on, it it even falls on deaf ears locally. It's so Mm -hmm. hard to get these projects off the ground. I think this is the thing that you, like, even in this episode, it's possible for us to, impossible for us to really adequately communicate how hard it is just to get these projects planted in a community and to pull this community together and get them to row in the same direction, all for a communal benefit in many places where even in, you know, in Latin America, where it's less common, but um, nevertheless similar, you know, tribal uh, differences and, and conflict. So there's a couple of things I want to understand the nuance that you all have been able to sort of indi- weave into your process around empowering literally giving ownership up to the community what that looks like is like in terms of charrettes and just that that process and then secondly as a nerd like how in the heck do these rural communities that did not have any utilities go to get to the point where they're deciding on their own tariffs and metering and payment management processes that those are great questions so the first one i'll answer maybe in two different ways one from like my perspective because i do think when you're thinking maybe about who might be listening to this, right? Like one of the things I always explain to people is like, I'm the executive director and I've never made the decision about whether or not a project moves forward. I don't think that's my decision to make. And so that is something I think that is different. And it's kind of hard to grasp from a traditional, like maybe US or European like centric leadership model. And it's not always easy to be honest, right? Like when people are like, well, what's going on in X, Y, Z? It's like, I have to actually go ask other people because it's not really my decision. But I think it's fundamental to what we mean by community owned is the process before any project even starts is that community organizing piece. And it is not easy. It's not even something I would say I'm the big, like I'm not the expert in it. It's really our partners, our communities, our 
team internationally. We have a really distributed global team that supports mm-hmm. on this. And this is where the community says, you know, here is what we want to do. Here's how, here's our contribution. So all of these projects, there's community contribution. And we think that's pretty fundamental to why we have such a high success rate is because none of it is community contribution. Yeah. So none of it's like donated. We do subsidize. We think of it as like the philanthropy and support that we bring in gets Mm. matched by the community. Right. So it's kind of like in the U S we talk about like, okay, most of our transportation, energy, water, all that was infrastructure that was subsidized by at some point to get installed. And so the philanthropy comes in in that way, but the communities are often putting, I mean, they're almost always putting labor So that's a big piece of it. But a lot of times they're actually pulling together some small resources. So maybe that means every household buys their own meter. Maybe that means um, they have, they go and petition a local government for some cement or different pieces. But the communities really from the very beginning, they're opting in. They're outlining what their contribution is. And I think that is a fundamental piece where from the very beginning, it's their project. In all of the places we work, there is some existing way that they can be registered as well. So it looks a little bit different depending on the country. Um, throughout Latin America, there are water committees that it's a kind of way to register. That's not always the case, but there's some way that you can register it. So it's also a an agreement that the community comes together on. They They kind of elect their governing body. They kind of set their own roles. We have a structure that's you know, with our partners that is presented kind of as like a draft or for consideration, but we don't impose a specific way of doing it. But I think that's what we mean when we talk about like that ownership and the, like the communities actually have the power. We're just helping them kind of recognize it and utilize it for a green energy solution. In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself. See how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey friends. I have a proposition for you. Instead of freezing your tail off like I am here in North Carolina, why don't you jump on a plane, come to San Diego, January 17th to 19th, and hang out with us at InterSolar. InterSolar North America and Energy Storage North America, as you're probably aware, one of the premier U.S.-based trade show and conferences focused on solar energy storage and EV charging infrastructure. Suncast listeners can get free access to the expo hall by using the code SUNCAST at intersolar.us. That code will also get you 20% off your conference pass to learn, connect, and conduct business with the most innovative companies in the solar and energy storage business. Go to intersolar.us, use the code SUNCAST. And hey, don't forget to stick around all the way through Friday because yours truly may be 
on stage at the Solar Games. Come check it out. See you in San Diego. It doesn't go without saying, but it is in the name. Like the, the, the work truly serves as a starting point, mm-hmm. right? And the thing that I love about what you've shared is you engage in the part of sustainable development that we've seen be most effective, which is we will come alongside, we will provide a, a template, but you have to decide how to modify this template and make it your own. And then we will only say go on this project when you have committed the funds necessary for the project and we can add to that, the sort of that kitty of resources that you all have been able to, to allocate. I presume similarly then that you've got sort of toolkits that they can, uh, they can leverage for things like deciding how to distribute the resources, how to set tariffs, because it's not exactly that. That's not a science that most rural communities have studied. No, it's definitely not. And I think that's where like the partners really are leading a lot of that. So we kind of have this. So we have over 20 partners right now throughout 13 countries to give you a sense of how much we're working on. I think if I had to look up our project database, I think we have like 45 active infrastructure projects right now spread out oh, across wow. those places. So there's a lot going on. Um, but it's really the partners who, you know, participate with us in terms of, this project framework and these tools and templates, but they're the ones that understand how to adapt it to the local context. Right. And I think that's where we talk about like my role in it. Like I don't actually go get my hands dirty. They don't really need me. They really need me to be um, supporting knowledge, sharing, fundraising, some of the, you know, making sure that we learn lessons from each other. That's really what art we support in many ways, but they don't need me. And that's a good thing. Even as much as, it's my happy place, I will say. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you, as our ret- return piece goes on here, which I have now beat like a dead horse, um, <laughs> but it's relevant because I, I feel like, I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but as an RPCV and as a <laughs> recovering evangelical, um, I have a flinch mechanism, like a flinch reaction to some of the ways that our community um, evangelizes renewables and water in the sense that and I mean that in the nicest way, we turn them into experiential trips as a way to incentivize or co-opt participation. I don't mean to critique the model. It is a very helpful and useful model, and it's been deployed by many organizations. But it's as though in some ways folks don't want to let go of their money unless they can go see that it's mm-hmm. working. And, that's a, and it's just genu- genuinely a trust issue, but also we tap into the general psyche of sort of volunteerism. Um, and uh, and while, I, while I appreciate that model, having been in church all my life, I've seen the downsides of it from mission trips generally. And I don't like the idea that water and electricity are the subject of mission trips because they're life-saving critical technologies that those communities do need to own. And one of the reasons why the failure rate is so high, frankly, is because they've just been given these technologies that they don't understand and that and the value of which through donation with no skin in the game is much more economically practical today to just turn around mm-hmm. and sell than to use in the community. So that's one of the things that I genuinely appreciate. So the way that I've learned that you really do things quite differently than I even anticipated is this partnership model where you 
really create opportunities for knowledge exchange, innovation, and training. Um, and then the community ownership and that project framework that allows for input and active participation and ownership long-term of the assets. Can we get down to brass tacks then? Because I mentioned in the intro that there were some really cool projects. Um, one, at least, uh, that I'm, I got a chance to preview that our friends at Next Tracker helped support. But could you give us some examples of energy projects that um, you're excited about that um, maybe our listeners can get excited about? And we do want to give folks an opportunity to come alongside and help subsidize some of this work. I mean, it's so hard because I'm excited about so many projects, just to be honest. But if I had to pick a few, um, just because you mentioned Next Track, I'll kind of start with that. For me, it's a really interesting, so it's a little bit different in the sense that it's energy plus storage for health facilities. And one of the reasons we have um, been prioritizing that is that Green Empowerment has been supporting energy, primarily solar for health facilities since about 2006 in Peru and um, Myanmar. And one of the ways it connects back to that community kind of led work is that one of our partners working in Myanmar, um, they're based in Thailand. They understood that they wanted to improve how they were sizing their solar systems. So getting really a little bit nerdy, but for the actual health equipment, like what equipment is in these places? What types of services do they need? How much energy do they need? Instead of just installing a one size fits all solution, which I think is pretty common in, in the work that we do. And so because of Green Empowerment's experience with the community-led work, we actually created a survey tool that asks health clinic workers a bunch of questions that says nothing about energy. Because health you know, doctors, nurses, people that are at these really remote facilities, they are not energy experts and they don't want to become energy experts. And so it asks a bunch of non-technical questions and populates a rather technical analysis to help us size an energy uh, solar plus storage system for healthcare. And when we're talking about healthcare, we're looking at ultrasound machines, baby warmers, oxygen concentrators, you know, equipment that is really life-saving, but you might not think of, depending on how you're imagining some of these areas. Um, one of the things I learned through this process is that there is a lot of donated health equipment out there in the world without electricity to power it. So we found a lot of baby warmers yeah. um, in boxes still. And so the work that we did was actually in Uganda was, and this was during COVID, using this method, we were able to analyze the energy needs for 56 health facilities in just a few months using, again, health workers as the input. And they were stakeholders in the decision-making in terms of prioritizing. One of those health facilities is actually what Next Tracker helped us install back at, um, it was that was in 2021 when we actually did the installation. And I think it's a great example of how a company who's interested in supporting this work can look at supporting not just the impact in that health facility, which is immense. And I actually got to visit this health facility back in March and talk to an ultrasound technician who told me that her job is so much better because she has never turned away a pregnant woman who has walked uh, hours to get ultrasound since that system was installed. So the impact is, is so real. And it's, yeah. I thought for me, that moment was like, Oh, I didn't even think about the health worker. I was thinking about the pregnant woman who needs that ultrasound or needs light because she's doing a delivery in the evening. I didn't really think about the benefit to the health worker whose job she can, now she can like do her job the way she's trained reliably, right? So that was just this moment for me of aha that I hadn't had. But the cool thing about that approach also is we actually worked with a local solar installer. So not only were we supporting the immediate benefit of the health clinic and the, the workers and the patients, 
We are also working with a local solar installer and participating in the local energy market, renewable energy market in an emerging yeah. market, right? And then Next Tracker actually used some of that storytelling as a way to say thank you to their own stakeholders rather than maybe like a stress ball with their branding on it, right? So if you think about that, it was just this full, um, this project that like, I just would love more collaborations like that. We have a lot of opportunities to kind of adopt a project, but it isn't to your point, people going and installing it. It's actually trying to participate in that local economy. And also we believe in that because it helps sustain that project over time. Right. Well, you bring up something that I haven't thought about and that is, uh, you know, in many markets, there are renewable energy credits available for deploying CFLs or LEDs and even renewable energy projects. How do these projects get to benefit from those? That is a great question. We're kind of at the cutting edge of that right now. There's an um, initiative I'm not sure if folks are aware of called the Distributed Renewable Energy Credit Initiative. So I imagine your type of audience might be familiar with renewable energy credits and especially international renewable energy credits as a way for companies to achieve their own renewable energy or net zero targets those are all priced out of one megawatt per hour, like production rate. And so a lot of these projects, these are pretty small. Like the project I was talking about, I think just now was, I think, a 17 kilowatt hour system, right? So the DREC initiative um, is actually has created a mechanism for distributed renewable energy projects like ours to participate in the IREC market. And it's pretty exciting. It's brand new. So we have two projects currently installed in that. These are not huge dollar amounts, to be honest, but for an organization like ours, it's supporting the um, remote monitoring, the data package, and our analysis for our partners of these two systems. So one of them is in Myanmar and the other one is in Uganda. So these were kind of like test ones. And we're pretty excited about that potential as a way to kind of gain interest in these types of projects, allow our partners and communities to participate in this market And there's some interesting things, I think, coming out of that where, you know, because these are social good or social impact projects, the price that you could get for that rec might be much more than a utility scale project. So you could actually look at the health benefits or the livelihood or conservation or other benefits. So that's been pretty exciting um, for us. I think it's still pretty new, but it's, it's a great example of how I think like the renewable energy ecosystem that we're living in, can we connect to these worlds a little bit? And so for me personally, it's pretty fun to get to do that. Well, we'll give a moment and uh, we'll give an opportunity in a moment for folks to know exactly how they can uh, give back alongside you. A, a couple of questions that come to mind because some folks may say, well, I you know, run an organization. I am a module manufacturer. I um, you know have skilled labor. We, you know, we do take these trips because we can sort of write, we can write it off as a, as a, as a tax write-off in different ways. So I guess the first question would be for those who would say we are manufacturers, do you take donated equipment? So we tend not to Mm -hmm. with an asterisk. If you're already working and have equipment in the country that we work in, then most likely yes. Um, Because, and that would be up to our partners. We really let, we would connect you directly with our partners who would make that decision because they also understand. that's everyone. (laughs) Right. But that's also something that our partners really understand the projects and where there could be some real cost savings. I imagine it really becomes problematic with regards to the maintenance part, right? Because that's on the community and you have to be able to have something that is darn near ubiquitous locally. Yeah. I mean, I have a story of um, friends that were on a kind of like the types of projects that you alluded to, and they installed a really high quality solar system on a school in Cambodia. 
all with equipment they brought with them. And when the inverter failed pretty prematurely, um, somebody actually flew back to Cambodia with a new inverter. And they learned from that experience. Like, um, you know, I would never call them out. I think it's a great example of intentions are very good. And they really wanted to bring high quality equipment to, to the school. And I have a lot of respect for that. And at the same time, I think for me, it's like one of those moments I remember when I'm thinking about the why we try to approach things this way. So is the invertebrate something that they're used to working with? One of our other partners actually in Malaysia, they actually just got some um, donated or some equipment that came. I forget. I think it came from India somehow. It's one of those weird things where you're not sure how it ended up there. And they had never seen it or worked with it. And this is somebody who's been doing renewable energy for 20 years. Right. And he's like, this is such a different inverter. And then the outlets that this system was all connected to doesn't work with the plugs that they have. Right. And it was just, that's where I would say the asterisk is maybe, but our partners would be the one that make that decision with our technical support. We have engineers throughout the world um, that support our partners in technical review, but it's really up to them. Yeah. So I would say email Andrea with your offer and (laughs) maybe it'll get accepted. (laughs) Secondly, sounds like, uh, Next Tracker and probably others uh, do follow a different model. So, how do corporates support green empowerment? Yeah, so that I mean, the Next Tracker model is like just to be honest, is like was a dream. Like that, if every organization would want we're, to adopt we're looking a project for dreams, like that, Andrea. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're we're looking. You're templating success. Well, and the other thing that they did that was so lovely, um, not to give them so much credit, but they actually worked with our Uganda-based program manager, interviewed her, and created some video assets to share. And so I think it was an interesting project for their team in terms of getting their hands on, right? Their marketing team, the folks that are thinking about solar and storytelling got to do some hands-on work there. But it was a a quality asset that gave us some visibility in our partners that maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, We also have a lot of just general, you know, sponsor opportunities for events or things like that. Um, We've done a number of brown bags, so introducing us to your team or things like that um we his green empowerment did do some service trips for a period um and honestly a lot of the communities and partners really did enjoy them but as a really small organization it's pretty hard to manage and i think asking the question of the benefit and does it really benefit the mission like if our mission is the project in these communities is it the right use of the funds yeah And as somebody who believes in global citizenship, I think that there's a place for them. I think if everybody could have an experience that helps them be a good global citizen, maybe we'd have a little bit more global understanding Mm. um, because I do think that's important. So the the corporate model is adopt a project. That's the core. That's our ideal. Um, We also are looking for opportunities um, to be hosted as we are in other places. We're based in Oregon, but often I'm in San Francisco um, DC, New York, and so opportunities to connect and participate in other events there. I'll be participating in the um, uh, WCS, the Women in Clean and Energy and Sustainability talks in January, for example. So, you know, I'm just using that opportunity to network and get other people interested in in our work, and you know, a little bit of sharing what we believe works, which is that community engagement side. And I think that's true for a lot of the interesting solar work happening here in the U.S., whether it's community solar, utility scale solar in some of these rural communities. So I think there's some shared learning we can do. (laughs) Well, Andrea, it is, as I've mentioned a number of times, and at the outset, Giving Tuesday. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to make an ask officially. 
you at Green Empowerment have the tools and the approach, the track record, and I'm sure a wait list of organizations, but how can folks get plugged in? That's great. So learn more about Green Empowerment and you can make a contribution directly on our website, which is www.greenempowerment.org slash donate. Um, also follow us on this different socials. We are pretty active, I think, especially LinkedIn and um, Instagram to kind of get some of those heartwarming stories. I think there's a lot of challenging news out there and we try to bring you these community-led voices that are really making change in their own communities. So maybe something uplifting as we go into the holidays. Yeah, I had to begin to our friends at Next Tracker, in particular, Kristen Kirsch, for putting the two of us together. I would encourage folks to go to greenempowerment.org and check out the stories there, the Sabaro app, Energy for Health Clinics, the projects that they've published. Um, I'll see if we can get a link to some of the videos that uh, Kristen and her team put together as well for the Uganda project to put on our site. Of course, you can find all of the links and resources that we've talked about and ways to connect with Sarah through mysuncast.com as well by clicking on the show notes. And I just want to encourage everyone once again, not just this year, but every year, save your consumerism for another holiday. Contribute to Giving Tuesday. Take a moment and think about how you can uh, redistribute from the deep well of resources we've been given to help others in need around the world. And uh, Andrea, it's great to see you. I look forward to hearing more about the projects you guys have forthcoming in 2024. And thank you for all of the wonderful work that you are doing, empowering those less fortunate around the world. Thank you so much for your time. This is a real pleasure. You know, I wish sometimes I could replay for you all, all of the conversations that happen when I stop uh, the, when I stop the recording, because <laughs> I had so much fun with Andrea and I'd say in common as well. She and I share the the heritage of being uh, volunteers who gave up you know two to three years of our lives to work in a developing country. Myself in Guatemala, her in Ecuador, and really do have that global citizen perspective. It's one of the reasons that I got into the solar industry at all, and I would wager that it's one of the things that drives you as well. Heck, you're not listening to the outro because you're bored. You're listening because you are always seeking more and you're looking to level up. So thank you. And I would ask you to pay it forward. Again, the way that you can do that with Green Empowerment is going to their donate page at greenempowerment.org slash donate. And we'll link to it in the show notes. As always, there are other Giving Tuesdays that we've done with other organizations you can check out. And there are plenty of organizations in your community. Just remember, today is a day where we pay it forward instead of bathing in the consumerism of this time of year. Think about those less fortunate, those in need, and from your abundance and gratitude for all that you've been given, please give to those less fortunate. I want to thank Andrea and Kristen and everyone else who gave me wonderful ideas for how to reboot the Giving Tuesday. I do look forward to speaking with all of the nonprofits that have been nominated in this process. And if you work for a nonprofit or have a nonprofit in mind that you think we should feature on Suncast for Giving Tuesday or any other Tactical Tuesday, please let me know. We've talked with Mark Baker from Water Mission. We've talked with the folks from uh, Give Power and other organizations that are doing phenomenal work around the world. I just want you to know that this is 
tremendous honor, pleasure, and blessing to be able to provide an opportunity for you all to have insight into folks that are really taking a different approach to how they deploy clean energy in the world. Hope that it was meaningful for you. And I know that it was meaningful for me. Thank you again, Andrea, for all the heartfelt work that you and your team are doing to bring joy, light, clean water and electricity to those in need. And thank you, dear listener, for taking time out of your busy schedule to learn how you can contribute to others in need. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It is half the battle.